What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How you doing, Rich? It is, I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Brendan? That's I, what we need. That's what the people want to know. <laughs> Inquiry minds great, want Rich. to know. I am doing great. You know, I was terrible for a couple weeks, but you didn't ask, so I worked it through on my own. But I'm good now. I'm such an insensitive podcast. <laughs> so, the game that passed made me maybe not so great um can't say that i expected the sacramento kings to get swept in the season series against the charlotte hornets i had that as a lock if you'll recall so yeah um no that's pretty grim that's pretty grim although charlotte is better than we thought they are they truly are and i will say to some extent i don't know i I, a lot of people definitely were down on this game Definitely thought it was a bad loss, and I think that's fair. But I don't know. I I, I thought that Charlotte played pretty well. Um, is that an unfair? This doesn't feel necessarily like getting beat by a bad team on a bad night. It feels more like the Kings didn't play well, but they also, I think, a little some credit due to Charlotte. Yeah, somewhat. I think the Kings definitely had their mistakes, and I would put the loss more so on them than giving it to Charlotte. But I see where you're coming from. I think that these teams are more evenly matched than people realize, um, which you don't like to think when you look at the pool of talent, but just the way that it's been going this year. And um, a lot of the issues that I saw, there were some effort issues that I wasn't a big fan of. I thought that uh, Charlotte was just running harder. It seemed like it was like three-quarter speed for the Kings and full speed for Charlotte at times. Um, but it was a lot of communication for me, uh, especially on the defensive end. Um, and there were a couple passes on offense where people thought they were going to be in other places, especially Corey Joseph. He seemed to really be like struggling to communicate on the offensive in this game. But um, the defense with Fox and Bagley, they just there, there were definitely a couple times where guys – uh, wanted to switch. Uh, it seemed like one person thought they were switching and the other didn't. And all of a sudden there's two people on one guy, there's an open lane to the basket and then Charlotte would capitalize off that. So Sacramento had a few mistakes, um, but this wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a terrible one. Like one of these first five losses of the year. Yeah. I thought the defense was bad, but yeah, I, I don't know. This is, it wasn't quite as bad as it was at home against Charlotte. Um, and yeah, like, Charlotte's better than we thought, and it is – that's totally – the first thing you said is exactly where I'm at with it, where it felt like an effort thing, where Charlotte said, if you recall, I think it was P.J. Tucker, the rookie, who basically said – P.J. Washington, yeah. P.J. Washington, I'm sorry, um, said that we know the Kings can't run with us. Oh, right. And that was in game five of the season, so everyone still felt like this Kings team was the super fast Kings team of last year, and that – that really hurt that that quote, but it felt like you could have said that about this game as well. And I'll say that it was piled on to by the fact that it was De'Aaron's first game back and Bagley's fourth game back. It feels like Bagley's not at full speed or full strength and De'Aaron definitely wasn't at full speed. So to me, those guys being rusty combined with a general lack of effort and and I, and I am going to give credit to Charlotte because I thought that their effort was – and their confidence. Like, Devontae Graham didn't even have a great shooting night, but he is so confident of himself on offense. He is initiating and he's catching the Kings on their heels, and he'll just, he'll just 
drive and kick and he'll like he's he doesn't hesitate and that's where the kings were faltering all night i did not know that Devonte graham could run a pick and roll like that i know his three-point ball has been on point this year he's killing it in that regard recently i don't know if this is still um the case after a couple of games now he was second in three-pointers made to only james harden but the way that he ran a pick and roll the pocket passes he was hitting uh swinging it completely across to the weak side um, he was a really advanced passer. My one issue, I want to get into Fox and Bagley a little bit and how they're kind of getting acclimated coming back. Um, but the the one thing that did bother me was Malik Muck. Um, I, I thought that he kind of caught fire, but I think that Sacramento gave him some confidence in the beginning there. He had, I believe it was two of his first five um, attempts were easy layups right at the rim. And I felt like that kind of got him going a little bit. And he's definitely a streaky guy. He he hit some tough ones down the line that you kind of are just going to live with, especially a guy that's shooting terrible percentages. But they let him get going a little bit. And then he torched them for 14 and fourth. Yeah, there was especially one. Uh, there was a call where Grant was like, and that's who you want to shoot the ball, Malik Monk. And they just like right. have <laughs> I was like, oh, no, Grant, why'd you say that? Didn't even catch rim. uh, Yeah. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, this team's going to struggle to guard twos, right? We we know that. Shout out, buddy. Shout out, buddy. Oh, just his birthday, by the way. Yeah. 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 And and he had a really not impactful game. And then I thought that Bogey didn't play well defensively either. So that's that wasn't even much of an upgrade. Yeah, I definitely thought that. I have a new uh, little writing series that I'm starting that's going to come out articles the day after games. I'm playing with the name, but right now I got the rerun where I'm pulling out a couple clips and uh, notes from the games. And I definitely have a few clips that I'll post on like the KP account tomorrow when this goes live of uh, Buddy Heald just doing exactly what you expect him to do once he starts once buddy heel takes about four dribbles you know that it's kind of not going anywhere and he's gonna try to create by himself and he had a few too many of those for me um and that is definitely why one of the reasons i'm most excited for fox to be back my first question with fox everybody was saying he was on a minute restriction right 30 minutes on the night yeah and and the closing minutes it seemed like he could have come out a little bit earlier for sure. And to get 30 minutes off the bench. Yeah. I don't know. That's, this is a serious injury. A grade three ankle sprain is a very serious injury. And he's coming back very early. Um, yeah. I'm in playing that much. I'm, uh, I, I can't say I'm not a little bit shook. Right. But what we saw from him, he looked pretty healthy. He looks like he hadn't played basketball in a little while. Um, and, and I think that, you know, he fell for some, like, there was a few jabs from Devonte Green. There's one specifically I can think of that just like sent him flying. He picked up a lot of fouls early on, but he looked healthy. I mean, from what we could tell in just 48 minutes of basketball. Yeah. I mean, he did, he did. He took that knock to the knee early on, but that's, you know, not related. And he hurdled a six foot man. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, yeah, that's Darren Fox, but. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, that's encouraging. I I just, I don't know. I would, we mentioned it in the last game, I would prefer to be very careful with him because I think that he is the franchise. But, yeah, I mean, what would you have liked to see the minutes at in this game? I was guessing it was like a 25-minute point would where we would maybe see him cut off at the most. Um, I'm definitely with you. I was not expecting or really happy to see him out there for 30. And it was like, there were definitely minutes you could have shaved off. Like you said, at the end of the game, it was probably 10, 10 points and there's a couple minutes left and you could have pulled them out at that point. I know Grant had mentioned it as well. So I, I was assuming that it would be around that 25 range. Right. And even then, um, I mean, it's a little much. And just to, I pulled this up because I was curious about it, but just to call back a second ago about Malik Monk, um, it looks like he had eight of his points against Bogdan Bogdanovich, according to NBA stats, and uh, shot four from six from the field against him. So can't put this one all on, buddy. Yeah, fair enough. And, you know, most of his shots were in the rim. He had two threes 
that went down and the rest of his points, all except one that was in the paint but not right at the rim, were literally at the basket in the restricted area. So that was definitely a little bit of criticism there. And we know how Bagley is in that regard with his help defense. And actually, uh, I thought that for the standard that Rashawn Holmes has set, that his hustle didn't feel like as all out as it normally was. Rashawn Holmes, you mean? Yeah. Well, for his standard, he's kind of lost in this rotation now. I, I mean, I think that he was the guy. I don't know. I, we didn't do any predictions for this game because we were afraid to jinx it. We probably should have. I think that I probably would have thought that this could have been a loss. I know that sounds crazy, but it's just to me, chemistry means so much to a basketball team. And bringing, a new, bringing Fox back in, you know, fresh from an injury, that's going to have an effect. It's, it's not going to have a, an amazing effect right away. It can take some time to – some growing pains there to get everybody back on the same page. And then there's obviously this issue going on with Holmes and Bagley and who's getting those minutes at center. That's a struggle. I don't know. I, I just – I thought, by the way – Okay, we'll get to this. I want to do this real quick, and then we'll get into the Holmes Bagley thing because I think that's still what's most important. But I thought Ariza had a bad game. Um, yeah, there's definitely like I instantly think of that three point foul. Uh, that was a rough one, and then there was one pass that went back court to Corey Joseph as well that he almost did like a no look for no reason. Um, I, I don't think he's killing you, but I don't think that he's having some major impact like you would hope only on the defensive end or at least like knocking down threes and you're just not getting that those were a couple of the plays I was thinking of there's another one where I don't remember if it was Marvin Williams I think it was Marvin Williams but someone had the world's most open corner three and I went back and looked at that play and it was Ariza that was Ariza's assignment and he just you know he wandered away from it thinking he was going to give help defense in the paint but it was you got to stay home at least like more home than he stayed because that was an egregious defensive mistake. I think I know what you're talking about. And then he kind of chewed out Bogey after. He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who and, um, and Bogey was up on the high wing, you know, staying near his man. I can understand like the concept that okay, I'm going to collapse the paint, but then you're requiring Bogey to rotate over. Quite a bit. I mean, it would have been right. I thought rotation. That Bogey kind of should have drifted between the two, and then it looked like he kind of wanted Bogey to go to the corner, and then Ariza to come to that uh, that wing that you're mentioning. But yeah, it definitely that that was one of the plays I definitely keyed out as just miscommunication in general. Like, if Ariza is going to do that, Bogdanovich needs to be aware that it's happening. Um, and even then, yeah, it, I mean, helping off the corner is never great to do. And Marvin Williams is a lot better of a three-point shooter than I thought he was, actually. Yeah, no, he's a solid player. And Charlotte has a bunch of solid players. Like, I know they don't have a star, and I, I guess Devontae Graham is becoming that. But, you know, they – they you know, Cody Zeller is a solid player. Like, they got solid pieces. Like Terry Rozier, what are you talking about? When they, <laughs> when, they give, when they give effort, you know, and they – I don't know. You know, Miles Bridges is going to come in and – Make some effort oh, plays and, and have a nasty it. spin move into a dunk. My lord, yeah. Oh god, how do you do that? But anyway, I mean, I I guess I don't know. You can hypothetically say that's on Bogey. I felt looking at that play again carefully. To me, it seemed like if Bogey had left his guy, he would have had to do it lightning quick, cover a lot of ground, and there would have been no one to like. Even if he gets in the middle of those two guys. They were so spaced, one in the deep corner, one on the high wing, there's going to be an open three no matter what there. Yeah, I get what you're saying with that. And then um, a few of my other notes is in the fourth quarter, there were only three assists for the Kings, which is just terrible. I mean, the ball gets stagnant. They run out of like the extended low block a lot with Bielitsa and Barnes and – I have mixed feelings about that. I think it, that's going to stop a little bit with, with Fox coming back. And then the other thing is that the Hornets started a really big lineup. Cody Zeller at the four and then Biombo and 16 offensive rebounds for the Hornets. 
Yeah, they're definitely more physical and they're definitely more athletic than this version of the Kings, which is kind of slow and low, you know? Yeah. Corey Joseph and Ariz are getting tons of minutes. It just doesn't feel like, you know, Beelitz is out there a ton. It just feels like a team that is willing to put their body on the line constantly and willing to run it down your throat. That's – they're right. I mean, they said that the Kings can't run with them. They're right. Right. Yeah. But, uh, and then, you know, would you, when do you reach a point? Like, do you ever in your mind, I know you're, you've rightfully been hating the play of Deadman, right? But when do you reach a point where you try him again, like next to Bagley? We're getting close. Um, the last time we talked about this, I was pretty staunchly on getting out of the rotation completely, bench him fully. And I think you kind of came around and agreed with me on that, but weren't as gung-ho. But I think at the time what we said was, you know, bench him for some stretch of time, not forever. Uh, What I said was bench him until you're you're seeing something different in in practice. And I don't know if he is showing anything different in practice. Um, I don't know. I don't know where his head's at. No one seems to – yeah. I don't know. I mean, you want to bring him back in. I want to try it at, at least a bit next to Bagley. Like, be at least to play 30 minutes. Cut five of those and put Bagley at the four next to Deadman. Him or Giles. I, I want those guys tried there. So, whose minutes is he taking? They're taking Bielitsa. Some of Bielitsa's. Okay. I'm because Bielitsa. Yeah, and then it would move, um, move Bagley to the four. Yeah, I'm open to that. I'm definitely open to that. Yeah, so we'll see if Luke uh, decides to try that. Um, I think we had a question somewhere regarding that. Yeah, this is uh, this one is from Reddit. We're going to have a few questions from Reddit and Twitter today. Yeah, it was Hammerific on Reddit. Love the name. What do you think it will take for Luke to play Deadman again? Uh, in my opinion, Bags and Deadman at the 4-5 is still our highest ceiling lineup. It would maximize both of them. Yeah, it's the highest ceiling, but uh, Deadman is very far from that ceiling. So what will it take? I mean, he's just going to try it at some point, right? Well, no, I think, yeah, I think he's absolutely right. That that is the that is the highest ceiling lineup. And then that requires, yeah, like you said, Deadman being at least the average outcome for Deadman. And, and then, you know, maybe Bagley's got to carry that weight. They're honestly neither of them are anywhere near their personal ceilings. Um, no, but yeah, that that opens up the question: like, do you do you run what you want to run and deal with the fact that they're not that's not working yet, or do you play who's hot? What's your like general philosophy on that? And then more specifically to this Kings team right here, right now, looking at Friday Saturday's game. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You know, we have a couple more questions regarding this sort of front court, so we can go into these. Uh, one of these is, what's wrong with Harry? I mean, is he healthy? Is he not? Why isn't there going to be any news? Uh, we don't have any news regarding that. But, yeah, I mean, right now he's just clearly not a part of the rotation. Yeah, we've said it before. Um, it's really sad because, you know, as I have said many times, he's my personal favorite player on this team. I think that he's a really special talent. I think he's a great dude. Are you laughing because someone is saying that I <laughs> always talk badly about him on this podcast? Yes, we were just talking about that before. I couldn't help myself. I've never spoken down <laughs> on Harry Giles on this podcast, nor in any point in my life. You know, if I talk about him being injury prone, that's just a fact. I, I don't I don't know how you wear to, his jersey at your wedding. People are like, Man, this guy hates Harry Giles. Yeah. 
you know, <laughs> listen, the comment section anywhere is always a disaster. Um, we all know this. That's that's what this course on the internet is, and it is really sad. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, if a player's not playing well, you've got to be able to say he's not playing well. If a player's hurt, you've got to be able to say that he's hurt. And if a player is has fallen out of the favor of his team and his coach and his organization, you've got to be able to acknowledge that. Um, I've never rooted for a player as hard as I root for Harry Giles. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you haven't figured out by now that the team is not invested in him, you know, wake up and smell the roses because that's what's going on. I mean, they declined his player option and they're giving him, you know, DNP CDs every night. So yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely sucks. It absolutely sucks. But I mean, that's where we're at. I, you know, I, am in the locker room and I have heard no confirmation of any of this from Kings coaches or players or personnel, but this is just my interpretation of what's happening on the floor. Right. I mean, is there any other interpretation you could possibly offer? Not really. Yeah. So I don't know what to say. It sucks. It sucks. And yeah, (laughs) it sucks. I, I, I wish it weren't so, uh, right. I believe in Harry Giles, but, this team does not seem to right now. Yeah. And it's interesting because like I mentioned, they like to play out of this like low block and a lot of passing going on in a half court setting. It seems like he could be really uh, ideally use that passing ability of his in that half court offense. But uh, I, I want to get, we'll get to a little bit more of these front court uh, questions, but kind of previewing a little bit, people also have some trade ones. Do you, is Harry a trade candidate to you? Because the the um, the complication there is whatever team trades for him is stuck only being able to offer him $4 million because they would be stuck with that contract that the Kings ended up denying next year's option. Is The question is, is he a trade option? or Is trade? he a candidate, you feel like? He's for sure a candidate, but it's, it's just a, he's just a minor chip because, like you said, you – there's no guarantee that whoever is trading for him can retain him due to the fact that the option has been declined by the Kings. So they've hamstrung themselves in that way. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like there is, if a team sees him as a big asset, they automatically can't trade for him. Right. And they've de-incentivized any reason to, because he will be an unrestricted free agent. Right. So why, and also like the other side, flip side of that, if there's a team that thinks that he can help them win right now, uh, that team doesn't exist because he hasn't played. Right. So no one thinks that. And if there was a team that, you know, the only – he's a candidate for sure, but it's got to be as a throw-in. Right. And if, if, you know, if, like you're saying, a team trades for him and then all of a sudden they play him and he breaks out a little bit, all of a sudden you can't even keep him past this year. And obviously the appeal of Harry Giles is long-term. I mean, you would think that like if it was a straight-up Harry Giles trade, you're almost looking at like, and you would hope a better return than this, obviously, but like a Swanigan and uh, Labissiere sort of thing, where you're just trading and hoping that it's a better situation for both of these young guys. Right, and even that, you're I don't like I don't know another player that's in that same situation very much, like to to the degree that Harry is. I mean, we have to go find you know, who else's option was declined for this year? Um, no one's coming top of mind. I think like Justin Henderson, uh, I don't know. There's a few guys just like dudes, you know, and right. it's sad to say, but like, that's where it's at. I think the most reasonable thing for the Kings would, if I were in charge, I would not trade Harry Giles because the game will be very, very minimal. Um, at least there's the, potential upside that he doesn't play isn't really healthy enough to play necessarily and just doesn't hate the Kings for declining his option and not playing him. Right. And then there's the possibility maybe Giles accepts, you know, I'm not going to be played right now. um, But listen, for whatever reason, I want to be a King. I want to be a Sacramento King. I want to stay here. I want to get, you know, fully my strength fully back. I want to continue to develop. 
I'll sign a three-year, $8 million deal. I mean, really, that's not even realistic. It'd be a one-and-one one for whatever you could do. Maybe I think it's, it's like $8 million total would it's be pretty, between the two. Right. So even with the raises, you could do like a you know one-year, $8.5 million with the second-year non-guaranteed player option. So I don't know. That's possible, I suppose. But – I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like it doesn't seem like it's worth trading him. And here's, I'll tell you to my macro point. And I think this is a pretty damn hot take. I don't think there's any reason to make any trades. If you're the Kings, I this I've looked at this roster. I don't don't see a reason. I don't either. Like, okay. So the obvious guys, so we'll just go into this. Actually, you know, last thing before we dive fully into these trades, um, guy asking it on Reddit about why haven't we seen much of Holmes and Bagley together? I know that obviously we have said plenty of times that we don't think they work together. Um, you've come out and said that, you know, you don't even see a chance of it working. Um, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I mean, we mentioned wanting to try it with Deadman. Do you know, do you, I, I think that it should be experimented with a little bit here. And I think that's going to come with time. I mean, these guys have just gotten back or f- the Kings are finally healthy again. Yeah, I think what I said was that I am open to trying it out and I think that they should and will experiment with it because uh, I think that's what Lou Walton is doing this year. Like, here's another thing if you haven't figured this out. This is Luke Walton figuring out what he's got this whole year. He came into this year with a four-year deal knowing that he is bulletproof. Uh, he would not be fired. Like, Brendan and his... Seventy <laughs> oh, percent. No. I'm just saying, like, you, like right. I think, with in terms of the contract, the context of that small market, the Kings aren't eating whatever it is. I don't know the terms of it. They usually are not very transparent with coach terms, uh, contract terms. But you can bet your ass it's in the eight digits, eight figures, uh, probably well into it. Probably, you know, I, I don't, I won't speculate, but it's a lot of money, <laughs> and the Kings aren't going to eat that. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Like. Unfortunately, like I don't think unfortunately because I think that Luke could potentially turn out to be a very good coach. Um, but I'll say, you know, regardless of whether it's good or bad, this is the coach of the Sacramento Kings for at least another year or two, at least. Um, so Luke is exploring the studio space. Luke is, uh, you know, picking things up, putting them together. He is figuring it all out, and I think that honestly. I think if you ask him, he'd tell you that. Uh, he's made reference to, you know, teaching this team the basics as, you know, as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's trying to build something from scratch. His, his system, um, he's trying to teach his team how to play defense because, frankly, that is fair that this team did not play defense last year pretty much at all. They were too right. busy getting out and transition and running. Um, so he's building something up from the ground and he's got new pieces from free agents, uh, free agency. He's got Fox and Bagley coming back in. He is picking things up and putting them together and seeing what works and what doesn't. And I think that's going to be a, a season long thing. That's why I'm not high on the Kings making the playoffs. I think it's going to be a year of experimentation. And I think it kind of needs to be. I mean, obviously this isn't the year for the Kings. They're a couple years out. It's riding on the shoulders of Fox and, and Bagley, as we know. Um, and, and I think that goes well into this question we got from Twitter. It's at Capos underscore Ian. Is this what is up with the rotations? It's not. Okay. I just wanted to – there's a – I'll shout Reddit. out Sir Tercel from Reddit who said, the, f- the <laughs> fuck is going on with Luke's rotations? That was, that's an answer to that question. Right. Sorry. And nobody was healthy. Nobody's healthy. But also, I just don't think that – I think that Luke is just playing jazz. Like, he's just – he's. Right. Anyway, that I think he's just learning by doing. Like that's what he's. That's where he's at right now. Yeah, yeah. So this one from Caposian uh, on on Twitter uh, is: How long do you think it'll take for the team's game plan, philosophy, and style of play to solidify, 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 so, uh, solidify, solidify? Yeah, right. What what's going on here? How long do you think it will take for the team's game plan, philosophy, and style of play? to solidify now that Fox and Bagley are back. And what do you think it will or should look like? I think you started to answer this in the first question or what your most recent little uh, 
rant there about Luke is that he's instilling the basics right now. He's trying to get the guys to make the extra pass on the offensive end, um, tighten up on defense, make sure they're communicating and giving effort on that end as well. So to me, like, I mean, we don't really quite know what the style necessarily is. Obviously, last year was clearly paced. Right now, it just feels like Luke's trying to get them to play the, like, quote-unquote, right way. Yeah. No, that's. I think that's absolutely correct. Um, in terms of the style, it's so tough because I don't know that there necessarily is, like I'm saying with the experimentation, I don't know that there is – a 100% set plan where Luke's like, all right, I want to get to the place where, you know, this player is starting, you know, coming out at this point of the game, coming back in, playing this many minutes a night, um, paired with this guy, that guy, this guy. I think it's it's a pretty open plan right now. Um, and I think it goes to the hot hand a lot. And obviously it's going to take longer when players are injured in and out of the lineup constantly, but – I think that he's still developing his plan and still learning through his players. The plan involves Deadman. So it's going to yeah. be a while. Um, and not just Fox and Bagley. The plan involves a lot of guys that haven't been able to, to be available. I, that's why I was saying. <laughs> the plan involves Caleb Swanigan. The plan does not involve <laughs> Caleb Swanigan. Um, who I saw play in Stockton last night. And, oh, did he? Yeah. He looked I uh, <laughs> I'll touch on some stocking guys later, but yeah, I just thought, I don't know. Like I think it's going to be a damn long while. And that's why I was not surprised by the Charlotte loss because this is maybe like peak variability where Fox's first game back Bagley and Holmes. We don't know what's going on there. Um, you know, Ariza's doing some wild shit. Deadman's out of the rotation. Like this is not the plan, right? Um. So, for your answer to how long does it take to solidify all this? I mean, it's a year long process, is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I think that after the All Star break, there's a chance that the plan is is pretty pretty solid, right? Um. So, I, I mean, I would like to see the last twenty games of the season be consistent and that would be a great building place for what whatever happens in the offseason got it yeah i was gonna say about 25 games being healthy um i I like your point of like the all-star break i I think that's when you would start to see a little bit more consistency with like what the fuck's going on with luke's rotations and such and you know really trying to think of like what the style should be when i couldn't come up with an answer since like i said i think luke is focusing on the basics the one answer I could come up with and get behind was when Fox is out there, I think he just is the style. Like I think Fox is that good that you just really try to go everything through Fox. And you can use Bagley to compliment him, but I, I think that you're just completely letting Fox run a pick and roll. He can take advantage of it in multiple ways. Even yesterday, I mean, he's not fully healthy. I think he's uh, really attempting to like split a lot of um, pick and roll defenses that are thrown at him. His passing was great. He had eight of the team's 23 assists. So, I mean, to me, like that was the closest thing I could get to in regards to like the style of it. And I, that's only obviously when Fox is out there. Yeah, no, that, I mean, to some degree, yes. And some degree, no, because I don't think that Luke is necessarily wanting De'Aaron to play completely to his strengths because his strengths would be running, getting out and running and causing havoc. Um, And I think, quite frankly, that's probably Bagley's strengths as well. But I think that Luke wants to slow it down a little bit. I think he wants to key on spread pick and roll. And I think that he also wants to eventually work through Bagley in the post, or maybe not necessarily through, because Bagley doesn't pass the ball, but (laughs) work into Bagley in the post, um, use some of that insane quickness and jumping ability, the sky hook, the things we've talked about, um, the second jump, the offensive rebounding, get him down. I mean, that's probably the plan eventually. Who Fox and Bagley picking roles in this game? Yeah, I like the little, the baby one 
down by the bucket, the little short PNR, but it didn't seem like that was necessarily planned. Yeah. Um, I would say that it's probably spread pick and roll with Bagley down low. That's probably Walton's plan. That would be my gun to my head, my guess. The plan probably didn't involve Rashawn Holmes really at all long-term. Right. Um, I don't think it really involved Deadman long-term. I think that Deadman was kind of brought in as training wheels for Bagley until he can play the five. Yeah. I think that Rashawn Holmes was brought in as training wheels uh, as a backup five until Bagley can get there or until Giles developed or until, you know, they found a, you know, like an a long-term solution. Sorts, right? Yeah, I think this was a two-year stopgap, two- or three-year stopgap until Bagley can become a force down low. You leave him down low. Yeah, he can come up and do pick and roll occasionally, but he's also just down there to uh, be an option in the post and to get offensive rebounds, which he's very, 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 very good at. I think he can be elite, an elite offensive rebounder. Yeah, and I would like to see him box out a little bit more on defense. You know, the strength is going to come with time. It's not even 21 yet. Um, but another question we can move to here, uh, most of these are trade-related at this point. We got... Nathaniel Gonzalez on Twitter at Nate underscore Gonzo. Will the Kings be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? I mean, yeah, this is kind of weird, but my answer is neither. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I think they stand pat. Right. If if I had to lean one way, it'd be sellers. Um, but I, I'm kind of on board with you here. Um, and, and this can transition into John Catterson's question. Who would be the most likely guy to get traded? That's a good question. That's a very good question. And I. So I, I feel like there's easy candidates. Okay. Giles, Bogdanovich, Ariza, and Bielitsa. Giles, Bogdanovich, Ariza, and Bielitsa. Okay. So. Hmm. I kind of want to take Giles out of that just because I know that he wouldn't be the primary deal. Right. Like if he was in a deal, I don't think anyone is like picking up the phone. Like we have to have this guy that we could not retain. Right. Yeah. No, I can get behind that. We talked that through earlier. You can take okay. him out of there. Let's do this process of elimination style. Who's like your, of the, of the rest of those three guys, who's like leading it for you? Leading it in regards to getting rid of. Yeah. I mean, is it, can I just come out and say, can I just come out and say it's probably bogey as like if we're really talking about most likely to be traded and not that he should be, but there's logic to it at least. I mean, not not good logic, but King's logic, Kang's logic. Yeah, I I could also, I don't know, I think I could get behind the other two easily as well because I think a, a contender could really use an Ariza or Bielitsa. I don't think necessarily Sacramento would be in love with it, but if they were clearly not making playoffs and you can get, uh, I don't know exactly what asset. I don't have like fake trades worked up right now. I don't know how much I'm interested in like a first round pick. I mean, at, well, a first round pick for either one of those guys is, is definitely nice to have, but uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like they're all pretty close on a level there. No one's given up a first for Bielitsa. Or right. Bielitsa. Uh, I think that there's a lot of sense. Bogey, I mean, sorry, uh, if we're just talking about Belly and Ariza here, Belly is the clear answer to me from in terms of a team's desire for them because, A, Belly is – you can plug that in. I mean, he this dude is a big man that strokes it from <laughs> damn near 40 feet out. Um, and he's got a – uh, non-guaranteed next season so he is like not only kind of expiring but he has the option to expire or you can bring him back that's very attractive and yeah like you said there's a lot of teams out there that are contenders that would want a shooter a big shooter not to mention the fact that his contract is low enough that you don't need to get up to like the 15 million range or whatever it is with the reason the 12 13 14, 15 million to get matching salary. Yeah, Rizzo's 12.2 to Bielita's 6.8 this year. Right. And, you know, the teams that would be buyers, like, you know, if Portland was trying to get up there, say San Antonio with them missing Bertans, um, you know, Dallas and Denver trying to make a push, Houston, teams like that. I, I think that 
if a team was really desperate to make an addition, then that's more so where I would see likely a trade being done rather than Sacramento seeking one themselves. Ariza just seems like, yeah, that 12-something, that seems like a lot, and he's got another year. Is that? I'm really just how, thinking of Houston. Like I think Houston is crazy about him. You think that they're crazy about him, though? I think D'Antoni is just – D'Antoni and uh, Maury are just down to do whatever right now. They both know they're gone soon. <laughs> Who do they even have that – I mean, how could they even make it work? Yeah, I think their weird situation is that uh, Nene deal that they did, <laughs> and then it would be some sort of draft compensation. Does that match? Because I, I, I know that they have essentially no space under the tax. I mean, I, I'm sure they're in the tax. Um, so I don't I don't know what the Nene – how that all got sorted. I know that they can't abuse him in the way that they were – going to but i don't think it's right. 12 um i'm actually not sure i'm not sure about that i mean that's the problem with houston is it's they're so top heavy right they can't just put pieces together they can't slap ben mclemore and austin rivers together oh yes, although i know you love shit. that <laughs> <laughs> i'll take on whoever you want they're just not going to give up capella gordon tucker you know so right. it's just I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to look into that Nene thing. That's interesting, but I don't think that they can really abuse it like that. And I do know that if Nene, if, if Nene, <laughs> Nene can definitely, Nene can definitely Nene. If, if Nene, <laughs> if Nene goes, he counts as that salary to the team that he's going to, uh, the incoming salary. Cause that was their little finesse was trying to get the outgoing to be more than the incoming. Right. And that's the uh, the league said hell no. So right. like that's I don't think that the Kings want to deal with that. This is definitely like a how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Like how many nanes could nene nene if nene could nene? That's pretty good. That'll be the preview for this one. There you go. <laughs> <sighs> so. Um, most yeah. likely. You mentioned Bogdanovich. Let's talk about Bogdanovich. It was, we got a question about Bogdanovich. Uh, we did. Do you want the Kings? This is from uh, Sacramento Scores. It's at Sac Kings. It's lit. We've had him on for a 916 man before. That's uh, my guy right there. Yeah, he's LA based. Uh, do you want the Kings to trade Bogey before he becomes unaffordable? And if so, what do the Kings get in return? Um, I think the first part of that question, Bogey's been somewhat up and down. Uh, there's five teams that are going to end up with cap space over this off season. It's Atlanta, Memphis, New York, Cleveland, and Charlotte. Um, and the one that stands out to me, and I know we've gone through this before is Memphis. I think that John Morant, Jaron Jackson, they could use a guy on the wing and they're likely to get another top draft pick as well. Um, Cause we've gone through, you know, Atlanta has herder that overlaps a little bit. New York um, thinks that they're getting Giannis and the rest of the world. Uh, Cleveland is Cleveland is interesting. I think Justin Rowan was interested in Bogdanovich a bit there, and Charlotte uh, potentially as well. But what sort of money range do you would you guess that Bogdanovich is looking at this offseason? I would guess that he will get an offer around four years, eighty million. Hmm. Okay, that's a lot of money. I, Really? Okay. So I thought that you were going to say that that's low. No. So I can get to that. Uh, well, right now the max the Kings have offered, right? And that extension is, what is it? Four years, 52? That's, yeah, that's all they can match right now. Unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think that 20 million a year sounds a little bit uh, steep to me. I was thinking more of like a 17 range. So, like a four-year seventy sounds a little close to me, but I mean we're not that far apart. No, and I thought that based on our conversations and how you thought that Atlanta and Memphis and perhaps more teams could be interested, I thought that you were more bullish on his price. So that may have changed in the last um, month or two. Yeah, I was. Uh, Bogdanovich has been very up and down this year. And yeah, I've just thought through all that that cap space stuff a little bit more here. The restricted thing is a, is such a massive advantage because 
not only do the Kings have matching rights, but the the fact that other teams know the Kings have matching rights is going to suppress his offers. Right. And I mean, in regards to semi-young players that are out there, there's not many left on the market. You know, like Jalen got his extension, Buddy, Chetty's off the table, Siakam, Sabonis got an extension. It's like Bogdanovich, Brandon Ingram, obviously, is a good amount younger. Montrezl Harrell will be interesting, but that's not even quite the same position you're looking at there. Um, so, I mean, if someone is trying to be somewhat young and get a wing here, there's not that much competition. But at the same time, like we mentioned, there's not that many teams with money. There was a there was a couple of weeks where I swear, maybe I'm tripping, but I swear you were on the Bogdanovich is getting a max deal train. This was Buddy, I think you're thinking of, because we talked about him on the same episode. Huh. I, I know that Tim Maxwell was on this train really hard. I thought that you may have agreed with him. No, I don't think I got there with uh, with Bogey. I definitely said that I thought Atlanta would like throw Max at Buddy. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, and then, I mean, how different are Buddy and Bogdanovich's markets, really? Would they have been? I mean, I know that Buddy's locked up now, but I don't know. Here's other, so here's another thing. I, I'm just I'm lower in general on his desirability to other teams than you are. I don't think that Memphis and Atlanta or even you know Cleveland maybe maybe just because they if they get rid of Love they'll have so much space. Right. But here's the thing: it's like the timeline's off. Like I know you're saying he's a relatively young player. He's 27. Right. He'll be 28 when next season starts. He's got multiple knee surgeries under his belt. I don't think that they're looking at. You know who we need to pair with our 21-year-old point guard and our 21-year-old center is a 28-year-old guy with multiple knee surgeries, and we need to go out <laughs> and break the bank for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. So, I mean, it, does that knock the whole he becomes an affordable thing to you? It does. Um, I think that the smart move would have been to pay for him either way. Um, there's a potential that he becomes unaffordable down the road. It's, it's possible. But I've done the math. Tim Maxwell's done the math. If Bogdanovich doesn't go near the max, you can keep the core together. You can keep Fox, Buddy, Bogey, Barnes, and Bagley, even when Fox and Bagley get maxes, assuming that they do. You can, that's a core that is sustainable uh, under the luxury tax with what their deals are right now, assuming – Let's assume Bogdanovich gets, you know, four years 80, Buddy's four years 90 or so, Barnes four years 85 or so. Then you got your two maxes there in Fox and Bagley. That's a, that's a sustainable model to stay under the luxury tax. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I like that core. I think that what Bogey offers in bench scoring in almost like a Ginobili-esque role, obviously Ginobili's like absolutely elite at that. Um, but I, I think that what he offers off the bench is something that Sacramento is not going to be able to replace. And it's, you know, if Bogdanovich was not there, obviously there's instantly a hole at this backup too. It's not like they have a replacement in line. They like better in like Justin James or something. I mean, Bogdanovich clearly there's arguments that he should be on the floor as one of the five closing people that are completely valid. I mean, we've seen how clutch he is as well. I, I think that it, from Sacramento's point of view, um, that you definitely would want to keep this guy on your roster and for chemistry as well. I mean, yeah, and that transitions me to a point that I wanted to make, and it it harkens back to a discussion point we kind of semi tabled, and also kind of gets back to answering uh, Ian's question to us and um, a few other questions about Holmes and Bagley and the plan and the system and all that. Um, and I also wanted to shout out John Catterson, who asked us a question in this mailbag, who also blogs about the Kings. Uh, please follow him at J-O-N underscore C-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. He put up a blog post today about how to play Holmes and Bagley together, how to match them up. His theory, go read it. It's He's going to do a better job explaining it than me. His theory is, you have Marvin shoot a little bit. You have Holmes shoot a little bit um, because based on the fact that Holmes has shot acceptably 
in relative stretches in his career from three that you can replace Dwayne Dedman's shooting with those guys firing threes alternatingly and that they could play together as long as they try to stretch, right? Right. That's yeah. not a bad idea. I mean, it's it's a worthwhile thing to try. We've said we want them to try Holmes and Bagley together. They should try that. Right. Yeah, we mentioned that, I mean, you should try a whole lot of things this year. And Yeah, John was texting me about that, and I was uh, surprised to find out that Holmes had – a nice little three-point touch for a little while there during his career. And, uh, you know, John yeah. and I are ready for him to break out the push three-point shot. I mean, it's automatic yeah. three-point free-throw line and out. I mean. Yeah, and I will say I am very skeptical of this simply because of the fact that, you know, the the time, the year that he made a respectable amount of threes, it was one year – and like the total number of attempts was 77 on the year and he made 27 of them, you know, that's to the point where a couple bad bounces and it's, he could be, and that was hinky, right? Yeah. The process. Yeah. <laughs> so you I don't know. Claimed yourself in fantasy, by the way, I gave that up. I gave that up. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, that's our friend Brian now. Um, but my point is this. That's his, his theory on it. I think it's a solid theory. It's a sound theory. We'd read that blog to get more uh, speci- specifics on it. My theory is you what's – the, what's the number one comp for Rashawn Holmes? Montrose Harrell. Okay. That's my theory. It's you play Holmes and Bogey like Lou Will and, and right. Montrose. Right. So, and that's kind of what – has been ha- kind of what's been happening recently. Well, yeah, I not, think I'm not going to go all out. It's not perfect, but I think with Fox coming back, um, and if uh, yeah, I mean Bagley would need to make himself into that starting lineup if he's starting as a five, or obviously you need like Deadman to come back or something of that regard. But yeah, I think that that ideal going into the year, the first few stretch of games we saw, it was kind of like okay, these guys are getting a nice little chemistry to them. Right. I mean, they had it in preseason in spades as well. So I think that that's how you kind of do this is like Holmes and Bogey may be two of your five best players for real. That And like you, you mentioned that as well. I think that you maybe start Fox, Buddy, Barnes, Belly, uh, Bagley, and then you eventually you close with Fox, Buddy, Bogey, Barnes Holmes. Okay. By the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this nickname. That starting lineup is Fox and the Killer Bees. Yeah. Yeah, that's solid. <laughs> but yeah, I, I totally I totally agree with you there. Um I, I think that Holmes obviously has been a big piece for the Kings and uh, I'm definitely all for trying these guys together. And like you mentioned, definitely read John Catterson's piece on that. Uh he has his own site. It's Sat King's Playbook. Uh, does a lot of good work in regards to what he sees on the court and some of the trends there. I think we got through all of these questions, though, Rich. Okay, actually, the second part of the Sack Kings It's Lit question on Bogey, if you trade Bogey, what are you looking to get in return? I'm not trading Bogdan Bogdanovich. Get out of here. Yeah, you're just going to go with that? Bogdan is – no, I'm not trading Bogdan. No, it's a bad decision to trade Bogdan. If someone wants to make like a crazy offer, sure, I'll listen. Like, come at. I mean, you can't even trade Beal, but um, you want to come at me with a superstar? We'll talk. But no, I I think it's stupid. Like I said, to have if you got those that core guys, those five guys: Fox, Buddy, Bogey, Barnes, Bagley. You can lock that in. That can be your core for the next. I mean, the oldest one of those guys is what twenty eight, twenty seven. Yeah. 27 lock yeah. it in give me give me five years of that i'm all for it i'm all for it i love how those guys fit bagley is the uh interesting one there uh but yeah i think that definitely is the future that you want to roll with here so i can get behind you on that one and uh that's all we got rich you were at the stockton game last night you want to give us a little recap of that i heard it was a historic night for three pointers it was pretty buck wild i mean they scored 142 points uh, on the Lakers, it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, 
it was pretty wild. I, I think the final tally was 55 threes taken, 31 threes made. It was 55 threes attempted to 12 free throws attempted. So it was just a crazy Ooh. game to watch. Um, it's interesting. I talked with the coach afterwards, and he was saying that this is the exact opposite type of basketball that he would like to coach. But <laughs> when guys are draining threes, you're not going to be like, hey, stop draining threes because they were absolutely on fire. Kyle Guy, obviously, the shot is wet. We know this. Cody Demps was chipping in very well. Marcus Graves was chipping well, in. When did Isaiah Cannon get there? Was he there last night? Yeah, he was there. Yeah. What? He's a, I didn't know this was a thing. You didn't know Cannon was a, he's like, he, you know, <laughs> he's, he's like three games there this year so far, apparently. He's a bit older. He's a 28 year old guy. Right. So I don't know. I'll go, I think. I don't know that they're like, I don't know that he's necessarily on the Kings radar. Um, didn't play amazing. I think, I think that he could be an emergency situation for some team in the league that, you know, like if, the Phoenix Suns last year. I mean, he probably had a quick stop in Phoenix last year. I would imagine they went through every G League point guard. Uh, but yeah, I I was really impressed with uh, Gabe Vincent, who is a 23 year old kid from Stockton, which is really cool. Uh, went to St. Mary's High School in Stockton. He's third in the whole G League in scoring, and Kyle Guy is fourth. He's absolutely lighting it up. Uh, he's absolutely lighting it up. And I'll say this. Listen, love me some Kyle guy. I really do. But, uh, yeah, um, I mean, Gabe's doing the same level of stuff, uh, shooting the ball at a, at a higher uh, efficiency. Um, for some reason, this page just crashed on me. But I'm going to pull it up right now. Yeah, Kyle guy has got 37 from the field, about 35 from deep. And then Gabe Vincent has 46.9, 47% from the field, and 41% from three. Yeah, those are his splits, 47, 41, and 90 from the yeah. free throw line. I mean, that's those are really, really strong numbers. 47, right. 41, 90. And they're then, a little different. Like, I think they're running guy, um, at least towards the beginning of the year, they were running guy at the point a fair amount. Well, here, here's my point, is look at the volume. I mean, this is translatable. I'm just going to straight up say that. You're taking, right. you're taking 18 field goals in a game and you're making 47% of them. That's a translatable number. You're taking 11 threes a game God. and you're making 41% of them. That's a translatable. That's just translatable. It just is. Right. Like, the, you know, the free throw volume isn't there, mostly in part due to some weird stuff going on in the G Leagues. With the G oh, League with, yeah. I forget so, that screwed up the numbers. That's one thing we talked about being kind of an issue where that's what we talked about with that rule is like, well, how do we know if a guy's really a good free throw shooter if he's right. only taking that two rule free being again? that you only take uh, one free throw each time that you go to the line and it's worth all the points. But yeah, my point is just keep an eye on Gabe Vincent. Uh, he's 23 years old from Stockton, went to UC Santa Barbara. You know, guys like him who don't get drafted, go to small schools, play all four years, generally not. NBA prospects, but he's got some decent size on him. He's a pretty big guy. He's a solid. So he's listed at 6'3", 200. That looked about right to me last night. I There's some guys that are listed like it's crazy. I mean, you can never take listing as his gospel height and weight, but he's a, he's a pretty big dude relative to the other players on the court. Solid guard size. You know, 41% on 11 threes a game is legitimate. And when I talked with the coach afterwards, um, he was the first guy he said, you know, he said that Gabe is really making a name for himself and getting the attention of, of teams around the league. So just a guy to keep an eye on. Definitely good for him. And definitely uh, everyone keep track of those Stockton games. They're entertaining to watch and rich next two games at Indiana at Memphis. How many do the Kings win? We're doing this. doesn't matter. You're really going to make us do We're this? doing it. We're doing it. Oh, and two. Oh, and two. Yeah. Uh, just because you're trying to turn this around. <laughs> Come on. They don't. I bet. Ready? They beat Indiana and they lose to Memphis. Oh, Maybe two. that's like too predictably unpredictable. Yeah, you're going chalk. You can't go chalk right. with these things. If you, have you learned nothing, Brendan? <laughs> have right. you learned nothing? All right. I'm going 2-0. Oh.
we got to go extreme one way or the other. All right, that's fine. All right, here we go. <laughs> whoever, whoever, if either one of us is right, we buy the other one lunch. And if it's one and one, we agree we're both wrong most of the time. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, you got anything else? That's it, man. That's it. Looking forward to talking to you this weekend. All right. Well, you will hear from us in a couple of days, guys. Thanks for listening.